The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. I am here with my Lemmy. <laughs> What's a Lemmy? A Lemmy is what we're going to call a JD and Coke from now on. There's actually a petition on the internet to turn the name of JD and Coke into uh, Lemmy because that was Lemmy's favorite drink. Lemmy being from Motorhead. The the Lemmy being from Motorhead. And on Saturday, we had this big memorial at the Rainbow Room in Los Angeles, and uh, it was two hours of uh, of heavy drinking and JD and Cokes, or excuse me, Lemmys. I would have thought there would be some sort of like a white Russian, considering the guy, despite all of his Jack Daniels image, actually did a milk commercial. No, but it, did you did you watch the milk commercial? No, no, actually, I didn't. No, well, he, okay. So here's Lemmy coming out of a uh, out of a bar. He turns to the camera and says, "I don't drink milk, and I never will." You. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says. Those are his lines. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. David Bowie was a tech visionary. How he beat Napster and Wall Street while building a web empire. The best of CES. We'll take a virtual tour of Michael's bank account using HTC's new headset. And gadget ninja Aaron Lawrence scales down the side of the GMB headquarters with the next generation television that you can't see when you turn it off. Plus, the lowest blow of them all in the U.S. presidential race. The GOP nomination process takes on a decidedly dark tone as two candidates are accused of liking Nickelback. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen I've got drama can't be stolen Everybody knows me now Just last week I had said when David Bowie dies, the world will stop for ever just a moment. And sure enough, on Monday, it did. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, I got a text message from a friend in Los Angeles at 2.15 in the morning. Now, normally I don't answer texts at 2.15 in the morning, but uh, they came rather rapidly, one right after another. I thought, okay, well, this sounds serious. So I looked at my phone and my stomach just dropped. And it was like, oh, no. This wasn't supposed to happen. Bowie is supposed to be immortal. He's supposed to be one of these guys that lives forever. I mean, he's been in the music business since 1964, and nobody could imagine a world without him, even though he really hasn't done much over the last 15 years. But still, no more Bowie? That's, that's just not possible. It's rare in the industry, whether it be television, radio, or music, where a performer, an artist, gets to say goodbye on their terms. And it's evident by his Black Star release, this man knew what was happening, he knew what was coming, and he was getting ready to say goodbye. Absolutely, 100% correct. 
here's a guy who apparently suffered as many as six heart attacks. And then about 18 months ago, he was diagnosed with some sort of cancer. We don't know what kind. But the doctors obviously gave him a prognosis where things were bad and going to get worse and never going to get better, which means, David, you better start putting your affairs in order because you are going to die from this. So he took whatever strength he had left, which apparently was quite a bit, and put it into creating some exit music, a finale, something that would herald his shuffling off this mortal coil. And the ability to be able to you know, do that. I, it's kind of like watching Amadeus and seeing Mozart write his Requiem. You know what I mean? This was a man who was visionary, regardless as to whether or not we're talking about his death, for many years. You came on my program on the Business News Network to talk about the the money behind the man and the fact that in 1997, he launched what was called Bowie Bonds, which was basically, um, you give me money now so that I don't have to wait for the sales figures and the royalty checks to come in. You'll get a piece of those royalty checks instead. And Clearly, he did an end run around Wall Street because a few years after his bonds hit the market, they went from investment grade to one notch above junk because, as he had predicted, the rise of Napster and the decline of CD sales was inevitable. Yep. And uh, he knew that if he wanted to replace any of that income, income that he had uh, enjoyed for, for many years... Uh, he would have to, you know, get the money up front and then tour more and charge more for tickets. Now, what was interesting about this is that Bowie was basically bankrupt by about 1975, 1976 because of the deals he had with his old manager, a guy by the name of Tony DeFries. And there were plenty of lawsuits and it, it, the, the legal issues that he got himself into with DeFries in the 1970s and the early 1980s were, were heinous, hideous, awful. And uh, he was never going to be taken advantage of again. So he surrounded himself with some really smart business people, which led to the Bowie bonds, which led to him basically taking on Wall Street and winning. Other people tried to do it. There were James Brown bonds. I think there were some Motown bonds, but none of them were as successful as the Bowie bonds. This was a man who was a visionary, not just in the world of music and finance, but technology as well. I, you know, I remember watching him getting into uh, CD-ROM video games, and this would be 94, 95, I think. It sounds about right. And then after the internet began taking off with the public after about 1995, Bowie got really deep into it. He formed his own internet company, which nobody did at that time, and he... His company actually created the first proper website for the New York Yankees, and they had a bunch of other clients as well. So again, he predicted what was going to be happening with the internet and uh, beat everybody to it. Suffragette City, China Girl, and Ashes to Ashes. In reverse order, my three favorite Bowie tracks of all time. Oh, and China Girl is actually an Iggy Pop song. Ah, I didn't even know it was a cover. But... He wrote it in concert with Bowie after they went to Berlin to clean up. My favorite uh, duo, of course, Under Pressure with Queen, which I know you were never a fan of. Not a fan of that one. Um, 
I was never a fan of a lot. I think there were a lot of really bad Bowie duets. There's that, I, you know, Under Pressure's fine. But then there's that Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger, which is just a, <laughs> a, a, a terrible idea. Well, he did some dancing between the sheets with Mick Jagger, if his uh, ex-wife is uh, accurate. Well, here's what we have to understand about Bowie. Is in, on January 22nd, 1972, he gave an interview to the Melody Maker. And in this interview, there was this line, I have always been gay, even when I was David Jones, David Jones being his old name. So this pop star in public says, I am a homosexual. This is five years, less than five years after the UK decriminalized homosexuality. So for a pop star, albeit a pop star speaking through a proxy character that he has created, for him to say that in public was unbelievably scandalous for the you know prim and proper classes. But for people who were closeted, people who were gay and afraid to come out, people who weren't really sure what they were feeling and who they were, for Bowie to be able to, to say that, a lot of these people said, to themselves, oh my God, there's somebody who understands, somebody who's just like me, mm-hmm. somebody who has the guts to stand up and say this in public. And it, it started slow, but by the time we get to uh, that summer, 1972, David Bowie appears with the spiders from Mars on top of the pops in full regalia, and uh, he suggestively puts his arm around guitarist Mick Ronson. A lot of people watching, nobody, very few people had seen him on TV until that point. And all of a sudden, there's this androgynous guy with gay overtones doing this. That was an atomic bomb. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he blew our minds. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He told us not to blow it. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Aaron Lawrence, Gadget Ninja, and I were at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Okay, first question I have, uh, did you come home sick? No, surprisingly, I did not get coach cough this year. Yeah, because everybody almost always comes home with some kind of virus being in such close proximity with so many people. Well, after the way Aaron fed me martinis, I'm surprised I made it back at all. Yeah, that was my fault. We, we did have two or four. <laughs> Each. That's what you have to do. Maybe they, they, there's an antis- maybe there's an antiseptic approach here. Exactly. I think vodka does have those properties. I think it does, too. So of all the things I saw at the Consumer Electronics Show this year, the one that I was really looking forward to was looking at the autonomous cars. But I got sidetracked, and I never went back. And it was the HTC Vive Pre. Do you know of what I speak? Is this the one that offers the virtual reality porn? Uh, well, I can imagine that that is a long-tail plan. 
not by HTC explicitly. We've discussed in the past about how pornography tends to drive adoption rates of new technology. But this is the VR headset that goes up against the Oculus Rift from Facebook. And what makes this better than the Oculus Rift is that in addition to the little laser receptacles on the unit itself, so you can more accurately track the head and in 3D space know where you are if you're wandering around the living room, the best thing about it was that it has a shin guards shin destroying prevention mechanism shin okay so you you don't bump into things you don't bump into things exactly you win a point in addition to the little indicators that can tell via the laser guides that you are where you are there's a camera on it and so if someone walks in front of you it turns into a uh, matrix like scene remember when neo finally realizes he can defeat agent smith at the end of the hallway and the hallway goes all green and the outlines of the agents appear and he goes running down the hall and he jumps right through them that's the kind of thing so if somebody walks in front of you the screen has a, a an overlay a little blue glowing outline or if you go up against a wall towards a wall it'll turn it into a little outline of the wall so you never actually hurt yourself that's smart that is cool i tried a couple of vr headsets and they were garbage michael well usually they're garbage because the tracking isn't very accurate with the head you turn your head and there's an ever so slight yet perceptible delay and so your brain says no no this is not real you you suspend your disbelief with this unit despite the fact that the the little lcd screen that are in front of your eyeballs, you can see little dots. It's clear it's not the highest resolution you could possibly get. But because the head tracking is so accurate and the sound that comes out of it is stereophonic, you really get a sense that your brain is willing to say, okay, I know it's not real, but I'm going to set it aside. I was exploring a sunken battleship and this massive blue whale comes sailing into my scene, this giant eyeball staring at me. And it was really quite remarkable. Do you know what another great property though for those VR headsets is because I had to be convinced I'm not a gamer I'm not interested usually in how can I make my gaming experience more exciting but they're starting to use them for real estate and tourism now so if you want to know exactly what it's like at a hotel somewhere on the other side of the world before you book it you pop on your VR headset and I did experience this at one booth where they did have a really good headset model um, and you get a basically a full 3d tour of the place you're going that to me is what takes it beyond gamers to the masses yeah that's true too because I'm not a gamer either. I don't give a damn about using VR for for gaming. Uh, I've been trying to find a reason to even be curious about it. But Aaron, that's a really good point. So you explore the world with the headset. I, I would be playing video games. There's one video game that had a very sort of Duke Nukem kind of feel to it, uh, very industrial uh, look. And because the 3D is so perfect, you I reached out and I disassembled and reassembled a robot using the controllers. And the controllers also are aware of where you are in space. So if you move your hand out to reach something, you actually do virtually touch it exactly where you expect it to. How did they ever pull you away from it? Now, the thing is, is we don't know how much this thing is going to cost um they'll tell us in february with the pre-orders however the oculus rift from facebook is 700 bucks so it's probably in the same price range well i was looking at something on mashable and uh, they were they were talking about vr porn <laughs> and uh, they described it as scarily realistic yeah how would you like to be the camera guy though now that you've got to have like stereoscopic cameras right there in the action here's the thing they they had this nerdy guy in what looked like a hotel room uh <laughs> putting on the vr headset 
and then trying to describe exactly what was going on. Yeah, uh, la la la, I'm, too much information. I can't hear you. Yeah, I know. It's just a bit just a bit weird. So uh, not to belabor this point, but there's a video you can get if you Google it. They've strapped cameras on the ends of things and inside of things to catch exactly what it looks like on both ends. <laughs> and it's something you can't unsee. I'm not even going there. Well, thanks for sharing. We really need to see that. I have never been all that curious. Don't Google you. that. From 3D down to 2D, you found a TV that appeals to you. I found what has to be probably the coolest thing I saw at the Consumer Electronics Show and easily the coolest TV. Caveat here is it's still kind of conceptual prototype, but the representative from Panasonic who makes it told me that it's about two to five years away. So what this TV is, is it's basically a sheet of glass. So it's it'll slide down in front of your bookshelves, say like a, a traditional screen, a projector screen, but it's clear glass. You can see right through it, you can see your art, you can see your knickknacks, whatever. As soon as you hit the button to turn it on, the screen goes completely opaque and the picture comes up and you would never know this thing was not just a regular TV, ultra high definition of course. The picture is amazing. When you're done with it, it goes back to glass and then you can zip it up and out of the way. Oh, this would be perfect if you turn this into the front window in your home, in your living room. You'd never actually have to have a TV hanging on the wall. Never. You could put it anywhere and you could put it in any room. You could put it in front of anything because you're not going to block what's behind it. Not like we all have now where you've got a huge black mass on your wall or on your furniture that you basically have to decorate around. This is so smart. And the minute this thing hits the market, I am getting one. How big is it? Uh, what, what are the sizes? Uh, they don't know yet. They haven't even started producing it yet. And I don't even know if they've tried to figure that out yet. But the one I saw was probably about 40 or 50 inches and crisp, clear, ultra HD, amazing video picture. What we're finding when you go down to the Consumer Electronics Show is with products that are not available yet, that are still in that concept stage or that pre-development stage, is that they do go big. Uh, 55 inches for the ultra high definition TVs was what we saw last year, largely because anyone who can afford to buy the latest and greatest in technology, chances are they got a fair amount of cash in the first place that they're willing to burn. The whales. So you go big because it attracts the uh, wealthier deep pocket. The whales, yes. No, 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 no. The whales would go to Las Vegas and spend an awful lot of money. Instead of having them spend the money in the casino, they're going maybe putting orders down for these, you know, weird ultra HD OLED TVs. <laughs> Different whales. Speaking of whales, we, we did go to the casino after we wrapped up the big show, me and my ace field producer, Ramnik and I, and uh, she probably pumped about 50 bucks into the slot machines and I stood beside her the entire time saying as your business reporter <laughs> I urge you to stop <laughs> and did she no of course not not till she burned through all the cash she had earmarked for it and did anything come out oh god no what are you kidding me do you think there, there's a reason why Vegas is Vegas and those hotels are as swanky as they are we were at the Cosmopolitan at the time that is a nice hotel oh yeah the uh, the house always wins just remember that so you're gonna come with us next year dude or what well um I wouldn't mind going once Maybe if I plan ahead a little and budget ahead a little bit more carefully, maybe I could. I couldn't come this year because of all this other travel that I was doing. But, I, you know, I have to see it at least once. A lot of people have expressed surprise that I haven't been to CES yet. I couldn't believe how massive it was. It's like the size of 
I'm going to make up something, but like nine football fields. And there is no possible way to see everything. And I know because I tried and failed. Good to see you in Vegas, by the way. You too, Michael. Thanks for the martinis. Let's do it again next year. That is our Gadget Ninja, Aaron Lawrence. Go to AaronLawrence.Ninja to check out the latest in high-tech toys. Because we all just want to be big rock stars and live in hilltop bosses driving 15 cars. The girls come easy and the drugs come cheap. We'll all stay skinny because we just won't eat and we'll... Geeks and Beats continues with uh, a more political bent to the musical file today. Uh, yes, uh, Nickelback has become an issue in the GOP nomination race. We begin with Ted Cruz, uh, who you may know was born in Canada to an American mother. He was born in Calgary. His mother was actually born in Delaware. We've seen her birth certificate, so we know that she was an American citizen. And the law says that any child born to a natural American citizen is automatically American, even though he was born in Canada. So he had uh, dual citizenship. Did he not renounce his Canadian citizenship? Yes, he did, 18 months ago, when it came to light. Yeah, so, so be it, pal. <laughs> so be it. So there's uh, been a guy uh, following around the Ted Cruz campaign with the sign that says, Ted Cruz likes Nickelback, which is obviously a knock at his Canadian roots. Um, the same guy has been showing up uh, at a number of campaign stops, which has been <laughs> rather interesting. And uh, they're treating it as, a, as something of a, of, of a joke. However, somebody showed up with a Trump likes Nickelback sign at a Trump rally, and a guy went up into the crowd and had the dude removed. Well, hey, hey, listen, th this whole Trump fascism thing is really getting quite remarkable. There was that Muslim woman who was standing there peacefully protesting, didn't even open her mouth at the campaign rally, and they had her removed. These people will come in. <laughs> How do you think things are going to go with U.S. President Donald J. Trump? Those are the three scariest words in the English language right now. When, when Trump announced that he was running for president, I thought, OK, this is going to be really, really funny. However, it's going beyond funny into the realm of scary. Well, people are going to get hurt if it keeps up like this. Well, they are. I mean, uh, the Republican Party is so terribly, terribly divided into ultra-right and, and right. And uh, Trump, of course, is on the ultra-right side. And he's speaking to all these people who feel disenfranchised. And it's really scary the kind of people that are turning up to support him. And like President Donald Trump, good God, that's going to be, that'll be awful. So if there was any greater crime than being a Muslim in Donald Trump's universe, would it be a Nickelback fan? Yeah, well, I would say uh, rank them in this order. Uh, Muslim, Mexican, Nickelback fan. Well, you know, in defense of, of Muslims and Mexicans, not a lot of people are fans of Nickelback fans these days. Well, no, but again, maybe what these people are trying to do, and, and let's leave the Ted Cruz thing out of it because it's obviously, uh, that's obviously a, a poke at his Alberta roots. And that's where Nickelback is from. Oh, I didn't even know they were from. Oh, no, no, no. That's why it makes sense. They're from Hannah, Alberta, which isn't that far from Calgary. That's why that makes a lot of sense. But to say that Donald Trump is a Nickelback fan, this guy is from New York, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Um, so anyway, it's it's a bit, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have nothing to say about it. What's wrong with people? 
what, what, what's wrong with you? You sent me a picture of a T-shirt you bought. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. So, again, I was all for Trump running for president because I thought there could be plenty of jokes and lots of material. Now I'm getting very, very worried. And now there's this band called Municipal Waste. It's a thrash band. And uh, they cannot keep this particular T-shirt in, in stock. It is... Um, on the front, there's a picture of Donald Trump with a gun to his temple, blowing his brains out. And uh, it on the back, let me just pull it up here. Yeah. Uh, on the back, and this is uh, the, what they're trying to say here, the only walls we build are walls of death. And that is something, I'm not really sure what that means, but it has to do something about uh, Donald Trump. I, I can imagine the wall of death is tied to the band itself, not anything other than poking fun at the fact that Donald Trump, quite frankly, would wall in the entire United States of America if he could. Yeah, something like that. Now, we have to, the guys in Municipal Way should be a little concerned because this is a group that once recorded a song called I Want to Kill the President on an album called Waste Them All. And um, you might, they might find a knock on their door sometime soon by the secret service <laughs> guys driving black suburbans with sunglasses and uh, little earpieces in their in their ears so uh, this uh, again is is getting rather interesting so uh the band again municipal waste pay attention you may be hearing more about them yes they may be learning a lot more about the inside of guantanamo bay yes there was a, a thing that made the, my facebook feed the other day that had reminded us all about how times have changed or maybe times haven't changed we're just incredibly hypocritical about it about there was a time when it was considered treason to uh, insult disrespect or disagree with the u.s presidents and it was of course an image of the dixie chicks Yes, that's right. Uh, Republican presidents have a, a habit of somehow getting people to speak very forcefully against them. Uh, we saw it with Reagan. <laughs> well, wait a minute. The dog barking in the background there. Is, is that a black suburban pulled out in front of your house or somebody knocking on your door? The NSA listens to this program. You know that. Well, we know they listen to all the programs, not just ours. And it's just a matter of time before they want to come up and talk to us about whatever we are talking about. Full circle to the conversation we had off the top of the program. Uh, the beverage of choice you have uh, is a Lemmy. Yes. So uh, Lemmy Kilmeister, the or Kilmister, I guess you'd say, uh, the uh, leader of of, uh, of Motorhead, uh, died of cancer just after Christmas. Seventy years old. Yes. He was uh, all about Jack Daniels and Coke. And in the, his last months, uh, his doctor advised him to lay off the JD and Coke, and he moved to uh, vodka and ice, um, just to you know extend his life a little <laughs> bit longer. Because the issue was the Coke. The, well, yeah, exactly. You know, you don't want that. Uh, you know, the, the sugar and the, the acid and the aspartame, or you know, if it's Diet Coke. Um, but he is now. There is a. Um, uh, a move to refer to a JD and C as a as a Lemmy. And if you go to the Twitter page at Gimme a Lemmy, uh, there's a change.org petition that says a Jack Daniels and Coke will forever be associated with Ian Fraser Lemmy Kilmister, the iconic founder of Motorhead. To celebrate and remember one of rock and roll's true legends, I petition everyone to henceforth and hereafter refer to the combination of Jack Daniels whiskey and Coca-Cola as a Lemmy. And the last time I looked at this, more than 10,000 fans had added their name to the petition. I don't know if this is going to make any difference whatsoever, but if it, it could catch on, do you, you know, uh, have you ever, you've had a Mexican beer with a, a slice of uh, 
lime in it, right? Now, I had always been told that when you order a, a Corona and you put the lime in it, or they do at the bar, that it was a thing that Canadians had invented. Well, it was some bartender that had said, I can turn this into a trend, or I can create a trend that will spread worldwide. And uh, another bartender said, you're on. So it became... Uh, this thing to stick a piece of lime into the top of a Corona or any other Mexican beer, but specifically Corona. Oh, see, the story I had heard was that Canadians would go down to Mexico and were fearful of contracting something from the rim of the bottle. Therefore, they would take uh, something uh, high in acid, like a, a lime or a lemon, a, the, the citric acid, and they'd rub it against the top in an effort to basically sterilize the glass. Right. I heard that too. It says here, we've, uh, I have gone to Snopes.com. They have covered this. And it says, claim bartender's wager led to the custom of adding a lime wedge to Corona beer. Verdict undetermined. Ah. So we don't know. And Snopes would know, right? Right. Me, I'm just sticking to the uh, dirty vodka martini. Yeah, probably safe. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. And the, the trick to the dirty vodka martini is how dry you make it. You take the bottle of vermouth, you uh, unscrew the cap, you wave it around the martini glass, and then you put the cap back on. Oh, okay. That's a nice dry martini. There's uh, another, uh, uh, um, oh, what's it called? A scotch, scotch wash, I think it's called. Okay. So you take a drop of scotch and you swish it around the martini glass, and then you put your vodka martini on, t uh, on top of it. Scotch watch? Let me, uh, scotch wash. Yes, that's what it's called. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have two new co-producers. Well, one regular co-producer and one new one. Daniel Greer has joined Michael Yurkovich as co-producers of the world's biggest podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth by uh, donating 25 bucks. We'll talk about you on the big show. We'll put your name on the album cover, and it's your way of supporting the show. But we also have interns, Darren at Post and Beam, Kevin Button, Dave Duva, Chef Mike Benninger, Mark Bradley, Ian Long, uh, among others. And the neat thing about the big show is that the only way you can win anything on the show is if you're a member of the World's Worst Intern Program by donating a buck per episode or what have you. It throws your name into the raffle hat. And this time around, we're giving away a Geeks and Beats Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling, courtesy of our good friend who's uh, started the GNB Mug Tour 2016 hashtag, Victor Biggio. <laughs> yes. We, good old Victor. <laughs> yep. The tour for 2016 began at the North Star Resort in Tahoe, of which if you go to our Twitter account, he's tweeted that under the hashtag GN as in Norman, B Mug Tour 2016. And he said, I want to support the show by giving away three of these a month. So the next three winners of the Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling, Mark Altosar, Mike McDonald, and Benjamin Gresick. Guys, we're going to get your addresses. We're going to ship you off this fabulous mug that Alan you keep saying is the best you've ever seen yes it is I continue to use it um, I've had it what 18 months now mm -hmm. and it continues to be the best mug that uh, I have ever used I use it uh, in the office every single day including weekends and uh, like tomorrow when I have to leave early and I won't have a chance to finish my coffee I will take it with me and will keep my coffee warm on the coldest morning 
Didn't you say something like it lasted like five hours the last time you did that? Yes, seriously, five hours. That's absolutely incredible. So this is the way we make money on The Big Show. If you're listening to us on the Bell Media Radio Network, we're not making a dime out of any of those commercials. It's just the exposure that we get. And so we appreciate the, the support that you provide us. And because we're using Patreon, you can set a limit to how much you support us on a per episode basis so that we don't rack up your credit card bill uh, if we start to go into town on that. Yes, it's a. It's called. Um, it's what the Chinese government does with their stock market. It's a stop loss mechanism. Yeah, the circuit breakers. They, they they took the circuit breakers off the other day while I was at the Consumer Electronics Show, and when it popped up as an alert on my iPhone, I thought, oh well, there goes the North American markets. And sure enough, they went into the dumper the very afternoon. Oh, fantastic. Okay, but there is a strong return on investment if you go to geeksandbeats.com and click either the swag store link and get yourself your own mug or the support the show link which takes you to Patreon where you get the opportunity to be able to support the show and because uh, Daniel Greer and Michael Yurkovich both threw in 25 bucks when we do give things away they get 25 raffle tickets for whatever it is and Aaron Lawrence fresh back from the Consumer Electronics Show has a goodie bag that uh, she'll be bringing with her next time around and uh, we'll uh, find out what it is that we're giving away Excellent. Top selling vinyl in Canada last year was? Let's start with uh, the top 10. Uh, Number 10, Led Zeppelin 4, sold 2,600 copies in Canada. The recent series of reissues helped that. At number 9 was Wilder Mind from Mumford & Sons, 3,000 copies. Dark Side of the Moon from Pink Floyd sold another 3,200, another uh, evergreen release. Hosier sold just a little bit more than that. Let's just saw it off at 3,200 for number 7. Abbey Road from the Beatles, a perennial bestseller, 3,300 copies in Canada. In the Lonely Hour from Sam Smith, 3,700. Arctic Monkeys and AM was number 4 with 3,800. X from Ed Sheeran was third at 4,800. Then we have 1989 from Taylor Swift with 6,000 copies. Uh, And I'll let you guess what number 1 was. Um. Hello. It's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over everything. They say the time's supposed to heal you, but I ain't done much healing. Adele, 25, sold 6,200 copies in just six weeks. I'm amazed that of the 10 items, a th- almost a third of them are sort of the, the old style tracks. Like even number 11, Legend by Bob Marley and the Whalers. Yeah, that's highly recommended, by the way, because that's a very well-recorded, well-mastered record. I, that's one of my all-time favorite albums. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. Um, but what is this? Is this a hipster thing? Is, is well, that no, why? No, listen, uh, the vinyl revival began in about 2008. We are beyond fad. This is now a long-term trend. It's been double-digit increases year after year after year. So much so that Techniques has decided to bring the SL-1200 back into production. Uh, so, you know, this is this is a thing. Uh, it's still a tiny bit, tiny portion of what the uh, recording industry uh, sells every year in terms of physical product. I mean, it's like 2% or something like that, but still, it's an area of growth and people are interested in, in seeing exactly what's growing and what's being purchased. I, as far as bringing back the Techniques turntable that you absolutely adore at the consumer electronics show in las vegas everything old was new again for some companies including kodak kodak has brought back the super eight 
camera. No, really? Why? Yes. Well, this was the, that was my very first question when I talked to the the big shot uh, CEO at Kodak. I'm like, why? why? Why would you do this? And he explained it was all about film students. And then somebody on my Facebook feed suggested, yeah, it's probably also hipsters. The uh, original Super 8 camera from 1967 had a three minute cartridge. And you would take that cartridge out and you would go down to the drugstore. You would uh, get it shipped off and it would come back developed. And uh, so they're doing the same thing for $75. You ship off your canister that gets not only developed, but comes back to you with a link to a web page where you can download a digital high resolution copy of what you've recorded. But it's still only three minutes. So the idea would be is that you're not going to become Steven Spielberg and, and rich and famous doing this because I figured even a, even a short film would probably cost you three to five hundred dollars. Yeah, no kidding. It's not exactly the cheapest thing. But there's also the uh, the, the high tech side of it, too, because they, they didn't just bring it back as it was back in 1967. It has a, a flip out screen now. So you've got a viewfinder so you can see what you're shooting the way it's meant to be seen. And if you look at the back of the unit as well, there are uh, USB ports. But the USB ports aren't for, like, ingesting the video or anything like that. That's for accessories, like adding on higher-end microphones and things like that. And the one thing that they did that they didn't have on the original was, in addition to the shotgun style, where there's that that handle on the underside that looks like a, a Star Trek phaser, on the top now they've added a handle as well because they figure a lot of kids are going to use it while skateboarding. Fantastic. Here's my here, here's, here's my tip get a GoPro. Well, this is sort of the issue, isn't it? And and when I asked the guy, I said, you know, why not just add a filter to it and just stick it with digital? He's He says, this is not for mom and dad. This isn't for the average kid. This is for someone who really wants to get the ultimate quality of film. And unlike digital, where you've got a limited resolution to it, the resolution on an actual piece of film negative that can be scanned is substantially greater than anything you could get on a consumer level sensor that would be in a digital camera today. Yeah. Um, okay, fine. Whatever. Enjoy. <laughs> Elsewhere, South Korea is responding to North Korea's nuclear test with pop music. pop aganda or Propagangam. Uh, I was actually in Korea a couple of years ago, and I went to the DMZ, and I noticed these large banks of loudspeakers on the south side. What are those for? So every once in a while, we just blast them with pop music. It really pisses them off. <laughs> So when trade negotiations fail, this is their solution. <laughs> this, is, this is what they do. How grown up. I know. So everybody's rattled by North's, uh, North Korea's apparent detonation of a nuclear device. And uh, so what they're doing is the South is fighting back by blaring high volume pop music, K-pop music uh, towards the North. And um, <laughs> they, I haven't been able to find out what songs they've been, you know, they, they've been weaponizing. But uh, it might include this band called uh, Big Bang. Um, which is just this horrible K-pop boy band. Um, and But this is serious stuff because the last time the South did something like this, the North responded by shelling some vill some villages along the border. I, I don't know who suffers more because if it's K-pop, so this is Korean pop music. Yes. Assuming that this is the same kind of content that they would want to hear, why would the North Koreans not want to hear the music that is popular with the South Koreans. Have you heard K-pop music? Have you spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week listening to K-pop music? 
But aren't you just hurting yourself as well? Because you'd have to listen to it as well as a member of the South Korean military. I feel bad with some of those American troops that I met along the DMZ to listen to this. Back to real music. Didn't David Bowie die just two days after his 69th birthday? The uh, the same day as Elvis Presley would have turned 81. And uh, speaking of North Korea, we also think it's Kim Jong-un's birthday. We think he's 33 years old. Have you been to supbowie.com? Oh, that. You type your age into the website. Yes. And it tells you what he was doing when he was your age. Yeah, and uh, if you want to if you want to have your self-esteem take a battering, please go to this website. I punched my age, 44, into the Intertron under supbowie.com, supbowie.com. And at age 44, he drew his own tattoo and had a Japanese tattooist ink it on the back of his left calf. If you want to get even more discouraged and depressed, enter something like 22 or 23 and see what he was doing then. 22. He got his first hit in the UK with Space Oddity. The song was used by the BBC for the coverage of the moon landing. What were you doing at 22? Not that. Uh, No, at 22, I was on the air. My first on-air job. I was 22. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> Gee, what, what have you been talking to my mom? <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.